Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a podcast hosted by Denise and Keisha, two friends who share intimate conversations about alcohol and drug use, struggling with sobriety, and our personal paths to wellness. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Done With Debauchery. I'm Denise, and I'm here with my co-host, Keisha. Hi. Today, we're going to be chatting about addiction replacement. A behavior that tends to happen when you remove one of your addictive substances out of your life. 65% of people have addictive tendencies with more than one thing. I don't want to just say substance because I think we can have addictions to things like work, sex, gambling, social media. The list literally is endless. Addictions often jump from one thing to the other, and that's because a lot of psychological and physical addictions are about meeting an emotional need or reducing the discomfort of an experienced emotion. And all these things have one major factor in common. They're dopamine drivers. So... We have this area of our brain that's considered a reward center, and that's where something called dopamine is being released from. And this is a response to pleasurable experiences, and it's really closely tied to your memory and your motivation behind certain actions. So essentially, you are setting up a pleasure pathway in your brain, and your brain remembers what made it feel that way. And this becomes strongly correlated with addiction. Essentially, the more you're repeating an action that is giving you that dopamine hit, the more you're going to have to repeat it in order to get that same level of satisfaction. I think you just clearly explained what it's like to create a pleasure pathway. And I fully agree that once you start to groove and establish these these pleasure pathways in your brain, they become very strong and powerful. And just, you know, the substance that you needed today doesn't give you the same hit tomorrow. And this is where you start to to build tolerance. And I think, you know, what you've you've outlined also just really goes to show that addiction is a complex brain disease. You know, it doesn't stop when you remove the substance. You know, your, your body is still going to be looking for creative ways to try and fill that dopamine vi- um, void if yeah. you, you know, remove alcohol. You know, you may start smoking weed. You may start gambling. You may uh, end up eating a lot of sugar, which is me. <laughs> and even in our first episode, we joked that like we're we're essentially Cali sober. We're not <laughs> drinking, but we are doing edibles. And we were just essentially like in a way replacing that glass of rosé with another substance that is going to take us out of our bodies. Yeah, like I've had a lot of behaviors that, you know, I've had, I think, very much like under wraps show up or just be more prevalent uh, in in my life since uh, removing alcohol. And I do feel like this has been consistent for me every single time that I've got sober. So some of the things that come up for me is 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 weed, like being that Cali sober, like I generally when I'm drinking barely ever smoke or smoke weed or do edibles and my drive towards that behavior when I'm sober becomes quite consistent. 
Um, it's I have a really difficult time uh, with food. Like sugar specifically becomes um, something that I'm like really always after. Like, and I'm looking for like gummy bears or like <laughs> like actual real sweets, Refined not like sugar. not an apple, guys. <laughs> Um, I find I'm really drawn to shop more and even like the scrolling on um, social media for me becomes um, a way, way more consistent um, and I find myself picking up my phone and mindlessly scrolling way mm. more than I would be otherwise. I feel the same and for me, like I feel like I'm so used to numbing out and just avoiding my emotions. So when I am like alcohol free or, or totally sober it's really hard for me to just like sit and be by myself. So I'm often reaching for sugar 100%. And I feel like that's something I've done my whole life. I've always loved sugar as a kid, what kid doesn't. Mm. But in high school, I lived off sugar. And that's, I feel like, only escalated as I've gone through adulthood. Like I get such, such a pleasurable feeling like from consuming sugar. Shopping is a huge one for me. And uh, I would say people like filling, filling up with people like going on dating apps and just trying to find some sort of connection outside of myself. Yeah. And I think Gabor Mate um, has a really famous term. and It's like that hungry ghost syndrome. And what it feels like for me is that, you know, I remove one substance that I have been psychologically leaning on to kind of like fill this void and then I am like filling up on all these other substances but even with like the primary addiction or substance like when I over consume all of these things it's a hungry ghost like I absolutely never get full I just like look to the next thing and because right now I'm I really am still I think psychologically missing alcohol when I'm popping to all these other addictive like coping mechanisms that I'm using to kind of like get over that void of the alcohol, I'm never feeling full. Like I feel like I could endlessly eat gummy bears right now, also order 52 different outfits, um, (laughs) scroll social media, like all at the same time, and I would still feel unfulfilled. I feel like I am doing all of those things. (laughs) But yeah, Definitely the same for me. And like, it's like that feeling of like never being fully satisfied. Like, yes, I'm eating this piece of pizza, but I'm not hungry for it. I'm hungry for like that feeling that it gives me of like comfort and like satisfaction that is just like continuously unattainable and feels like so much farther out of my reach, the more I engage in these behaviors. I feel like the more sugar I eat, the more shit I order, the more I'm needing to try and still feel satisfied. And that final feeling of like contentment never comes. Yeah, it's and I think a few things that come up for me there. It's like I I think when you're also using like a replacement addiction, you're like chasing the dopamine high that you would get for something like alcohol or cocaine that's something that would be very powerful uh versus like you probably only get a small hit of dopamine from shopping so like how many things do you need to buy to equal cocaine probably a lot or maybe just a few pairs of manolo blonics i'm not i'm not sure but it's definitely not an aritzia shirt (laughs) and i wonder if like the experience of actually like 
purchasing something and attaining it, it, like it's perceived differently by your body and your brain than actually ingesting something like sugar or alcohol or drugs. Like, does it light up your brain the same way? Well, I think, I think, yeah, some, some substances or things uh, probably are more powerful than others, but that might be unique to, to the person. I guess for me, like when I think of shopping, like even though, yeah, I do find it pleasurable and, and clearly it's something that I like to do, like to replace the void, but I don't think it's giving me the same removal or temporary relief the way that like drugs and alcohol do. And I even think with like sometimes using weed, because I think there's a difference to using weed socially as a form of enjoyment. Um, But when it starts to be used as a coping mechanism, I think that's for me is when I need to start to look at, at what I'm truly, what I'm truly doing with that replacement behavior. Yeah, that makes total sense. And just like the idea of of, like everyone has their vices. So when you mentioned gambling earlier, like that honestly wasn't even on my radar as something that would be used as an an addiction. But like we know it is so commonly. But I think of like when I went to Niagara Falls like a couple years ago and like went to the casino, I literally pulled out $20, used it on the quarter slots. And like when that was done, I was already like... (laughs) shaking like I need another $20 I'm not winning anything but I do get that like that impulse action and it really has nothing to do with what I'm actually doing it's coming from me and whatever I can latch on to yeah like I know people that are heavily addicted to gambling and I guess the only thing I can relate to like winning a lot of money would be just like large accomplishments accomplishments and work and I know that that in and of itself can be addictive of like always wanting to achieve more and I know actually a lot of athletes can be like that as well mm. where they want to like run faster or get first place and like like those types of first things. place <laughs> <laughs> I don't know like you know what I mean though like I think yeah. there's people that like are are into very competitive athletic sports where uh no matter what they're achieving, if they run, let's say, the New York Marathon and, you know, their time is very good, like, it's still not good enough. They're, like, after the next race. Yeah. And I think that's very much that hungry ghost. It's, like, you buy the shirt, but, like, after you bought the shirt, you're, like, already off looking for the next thing. It's never enough. And, you know, what? I can even relate that to my, my drinking behavior because it's, like, I have one or two drinks and it's not enough. And uh-huh. then once I have some drinks and I want cocaine, like I'm always like wanting more of whatever my experience is. Like I'm like chasing this feeling that feels slightly out of reach, which is going to be like, I don't know, safety, relief, relief, yeah. uh, freedom from whatever is going on for me in the present. And I think it's very much a lack of acceptance of, of being able to be in the present moment. Yeah. And and I love what you said that like, it's out of reach and like, it remains out of reach. It's like a carrot dangling in front of your face. (laughs) Except I'm not reaching for the carrot. (laughs) We actually just had carrots. (laughs) I'd like to back up to something that you said though, in, in the beginning about, uh, always like really loving candy when, when you were younger. Cause when you were telling that story, like, Obviously, in my mind, I, a few things came up was, number one, you were already training your brain to be susceptible to addiction because you were lighting up and creating um, the same pleasure pathways that 
lights up these addictive tendencies. Mm. So it's really interesting that, you know, we don't have, like, you know, we feed sugar to all of our kids. Yeah. Probably not knowing that what you're doing is increasing the possibility of these, like, addictive tendencies later in life. And we are totally taught to associate sugar with celebrations. We're having birthday cake, cupcakes. Good job, here's a candy. Yeah, or like even like when you're going through a breakup, like the classic like movie Mm. scene is the girl on the couch drinking wine and eating ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) What are bonbons? Does anyone know? Bonbon is like French candy. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) They're like hard candy. I'll take anything actually right now. Bring them over. But yeah, going back to that, like we are taught from like such an early age that like sugar equals celebration like alcohol equals celebration and like it is just ingrained into like our daily habits on so many levels to reach outside of yourself like you're not feeling good so go ahead like have have some candy yeah like make yourself feel better I feel like my parents also often used to um always offer treats uh, like food treats like bribes. As, a, as a way of well yes as bribes for sure like go practice piano and then you can have this <laughs> yeah um but also like if, instead of like if I was sad or upset like I would get given like cookies or or treats yeah. or something like that to like try to make myself feel better so like I was also conditioned to use food as a as a soothing mechanism from a a really young age and I think a lot of a lot of people also have that conditioning yeah and I think that that carries on into adulthood as like that like treat yourself mentality that that is so ingrained in our society that like if you've had a hard day like you know what like you deserve that glass of wine like you deserve to buy that bag like just thinking that these things again like outside of ourselves are going to make us feel better in these moments Agreed. Agreed. And I think we're kind of talking about a fine line here because overall, even though that, you know, I can I can see some addiction replacement kind of showing up in my life right now, it, it overall seems less harmful than, you know, the consistent binge drinking and other substances were were causing me. So at what point do you feel like you need to start looking at these replacement addictions versus calling something harm reduction? Like, yeah, what where's the line in that for you? I mean, I feel like I'm at that line right now, like with at least how I'm like consuming sugar and, and shopping. But like, It's hard to say, right? Because, like, is having sugar at night keeping me sober from alcohol? Like, very likely. And I think that, like, a lot of, like, the non-alcoholic drinks that I'm enjoying, like, in the evening, also, like, the ones that are fake wine, also do have, like, a a high content of sugar, which is just fueling that that pleasure pathway as well. So it, it might be very hard for me to cut back. But, yeah, how long can I maintain this? I honestly don't know until I have no more skin on my forehead. It's all zits. <laughs> <laughs> also me, except for it's on my chin. Um, yeah, and I think at some point you have to really ask yourself the tough question, especially I think when you're dealing with like this emotional avoidance that that kind of runs through it is like, are you just, are you just avoiding the inevitable of, of what you have to deal with further like and and what is procrastinating that really doing for you because I also feel like I'm at that line and I'm also questioning like 
is the sugar actually better for me than the way that I was drinking? Like, I don't actually know all the time if if the answer is yes. And I guess it depends on how far you take it and how much of it you're having and what's going on. But my bigger concern is that you know, if I'm scrolling social media way more or I'm use, I'm having a weed gummy here and there or I'm like endlessly eating sugar, I'm still not feeling my best. I'm not mm-hmm. living up to my potential. But the bigger concern is that I'm still avoiding and running from whatever it was that like that need or that emotional fulfillment that I that I'm like looking to to fill. So at what point do you decide that you're stable enough from that primary addiction to maybe start really kind of tackling and breaking down um, all these other little things that are popping up? And I think that you have to listen to your body. Like it, it tells you how it feels when you put different things inside of it. Like that sounds like a little raunchy, <laughs> but like, honestly, like your body doesn't lie. Like for me, when I eat sugar, like I do break out, I get bloated. I have shitty sleeps if I eat a full pizza like the, the night before, but it's like long term. Like are those like, are those like physical things going to be better for me than drinking a bottle of wine a night by myself? Like for me, the answer is yes. Like I I would rather have these other sort of substitutes and gradually make change with those, like try and like set a limit. Like I'm not going to buy anything this week or next week, but still letting myself have sugar, but in smaller doses. And I think we have really kind of like narrowed in on like sugar being like the main replacement that we're using for our addictions, but this is like applicable to anything. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I feel like right now things feel like super out of sorts for me. Um, like I've always been a very healthy eater. So I, I just feel actually at this present moment, like worse as a result almost of some of the like replacement um, behaviors that I feel like I'm experiencing. And even though like I know scrolling social media gives me anxiety and like just overall makes me like is terrible for my mental health. I don't feel unable to stop those things. Like it, it almost feels like a little out of control and spinny, like the same way that sometimes, um, my alcohol consumption does. And so I do, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it, it's, it's difficult for sure. It's really hard. Like making meaningful change in whatever aspect is not easy, but I do think there's value in also taking breaks from social media. Like if you can't stop scrolling, like I, I often temporarily deactivate my account, whether that's for like a week, a month, three months. And it's hard. I miss it. And like, I do like find myself spending time on other social media platforms. But like, if you if you don't have control over the behavior, like, I think that you should not be doing it. And the one thing that I feel like I know for sure is, like, regardless of how shitty I'm feeling today, the only thing that I know 100% was that if I add alcohol, it's just going to make it worse. <laughs> like, yeah, it, and 100%. maybe not that night. Like, maybe I'll feel great. But, like, in the long term, like, and I think we talked about this, like, in our in our moderation episode is like playing the tape till the end. Yeah, we can all tell I'm only hanging on by a very thin thread at this point. (laughs) But that's okay. Like some days are harder than others. Some weeks are harder than others. And I think it's just constantly having these conversations with me, with yourself. Like what are the things you know for sure? Like if you have a glass of wine today, what is that going to look like in a month? 
And I think the other thing that's like important to kind of note here uh, is that I feel like I had multiple addictive coping mechanisms going on at one time anyway. Like it wasn't like all of a sudden I removed one and there was like this snowball of things that happened. And maybe there was a few that popped up that like sugar and uh, or were amplified once you cut out alcohol. Yeah. But, um, you know, I I do feel like there were those tendencies of those replacement uh, behaviors there that had ebbed and flowed out of my life historically. Uh, So it wasn't like they were like totally new popped out of the woods like shockingly showed up yeah none of these none of these actions are a surprise and I I feel the same way like when I was drinking I was also consuming sugar and like food that didn't make me feel good Mm, I was still shopping uh, like outside of like more than what I need essentially like I was still like going on dating apps and like trying to like create connections with people that maybe otherwise I wouldn't have if I was in a better place that was a really pg way pg way of explaining that (laughs) my mom listens to this (laughs) creating connections No, but I think, but then I think, you know, is, is our expectations of ourselves realistic in a Western modern world? Like, you know, so many things are set up to be addictive, like, you know, the, the flavors they create on potato chips are literally created to make you want to be addicted and eat more. And so is social media. Like, I mean, we've, we've all watched the documentary on like the way that it, it affects people. So how do you get out of this like addiction spiral fully, but still live in in, in a society? Mo- yeah, yeah, because you know it's it's it, like, are you going to be free from a coffee like coffee addiction or caffeine? Like, can you? We haven't even talked about coffee. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what's what's important here as well is to say that I don't feel like all of a sudden I have developed like a gambling addiction where I've never been interested in gambling yeah. prior, but. Other things that I had used previously have either increased in use or kind of taken over the replacement for Mm -hmm. alcohol. And I think that what that means is that, like, we're not necessarily addressing the root cause of our addictive behaviors. Like, maybe we're starting to and, like, we're on that journey still, but I think that if we were free of all of our trauma and our history of whatever that brought us here, like, we wouldn't be acting in this way yeah I think that's fair to assume it's like you really got to get to the bottom of the emotional need um and really kind of like do the work around what's that striving yeah the why it's possibly a life process for sure so I guess the key takeaway from this episode is that Sugar is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so are we gummies. <laughs> but really, once you create these pleasure pl- pathways in your brain, they're not going to be undone overnight. You may find yourself replacing your primary addiction with other behaviors, and that is something to be aware of. Keep showing up for yourself and working on making meaningful change in your life. It is possible. This is Keisha and Denise signing off on another episode of Done With Debauchery. 
Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Done With Debauchery. See you next time.